you have your Bibles with me today, I want you to turn 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to um, read from there. I'm also going to be reading from Romans the 8th chapter, but 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. You're very familiar with this, uh, been reading it and involved in this series every week and um, it just simply says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth and this is where we finished last week and today we're in verse 7 where it says love always protects. We're going into other verses in the next few weeks. Always trust, always hope, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now what we've done is we have taken this passage of scripture that is a description of what love is and we are looking at the fact that the Bible declares that God is love. Three things that God is, he is spirit, he is light, and he is love. And so when we get a picture of those things, it helps us to understand God in a better way. I really believe that we have a misconception of God. I believe that the church has presented a, a picture that I'm not saying that the picture is wrong that we have of God. I'm saying the picture we have of God is inadequate. Y'all understand, there's a difference in it being wrong and being inadequate. I just don't think that we have an adequate description of who God is, what God is, how God is, and the things of God. And so I'm asking God to help us as a corporate body, as the body of Christ, to understand more about God. Now, today when we talk about always protects, in the church world, in the Christian world, uh, few people would dispute the fact that love always protects. We, we, we believe in a protection, um, and that kind of thing. But my question today that I'm going to be answering and the perspective that I want to approach this from is, hear me, what do we believe protection is? What do we believe protection is? When we look at protection, and we think about protection, as parents, I'm just talking for a minute, is it possible as parents that we could be so sanitary with all the newest disinfectants and cleaners? You know, we've, we've, we've been through a year of Sanitary stuff. I, I don't want to get off on this last year. I just want to talk. But as parents, could we be so sanitary? You know, y'all have heard me tell this story time and again. If I want something done in the nursery, I always get a first-time mother. 
Yeah, first time she's a mother, she wants to make sure everything's clean, that we have everything, that everything's in order over there. By the time they've had three, they want us to have a chute over there where they can just pull up and slide them in. Okay, but when they have that first one, they want to make sure everything is disinfected. Terry, it's hard to tell what you go through at daycare with first-time mommies. But my question is this. Is it possible that we could be so clean with those kids that their immune system doesn't develop? I can remember playing in the dirt as a kid and, and getting dirt in my mouth and, and, and mother saying, well, that'll just help you with germs. Protection. Say that with me. Would you say Protection. Does protection mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you? See, we could think that. Protection. Is protection always associated with physical pain or discomfort? Our world, the world that we live in today, is clearly defining protection in a way that it only pertains to the flesh. Now, I want to make an illustration here, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, but, but, but it happens in every one of our schools. Our world prides itself in using protection. Say protection with me. Now listen to me. Schools, schools, schools where our children go pass out condoms because the wise by the world's standard believes as long as the flesh is protected, you are protected. Let me ask you, do condoms protect the spirit and the heart of those who participate in that behavior protects your flesh. What does it do to your heart? Again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to define today when we say love always protects, when we say God always protects, what is the definition of that protection that we're talking about. Love always protects. Is covering the flesh more important than covering the heart? There's no vision in the world's view of protection. So again, my question, does love Always. Y'all notice that word's in there? Always. Say always with me. Always. Does love always protect? Does God always protect? You know, most of us did not come from perfect environments. Most of us did not come from perfect people. Most of us were not raised in perfect places. It amazes me what some people 
have had to put up with in the environment they've come out of to be alive today and make it where they've made it to. Now, follow me. There are universal laws that are higher than emotions. You got to stay with me right here. Universal laws that are higher than emotions. If you don't hear what I'm saying, you're going to miss it. There are places that have strong prayer disciplines. Some people that I know have great authority in prayer. And I don't take anything away from that. But I've also learned that prayer cannot override and overrule universal laws of order. I'm trying to be careful and slow so that you follow where I'm going with this. When there is no order, then prayer is not enough. We can talk about prayer and we can say prayer can do anything and that God answers prayer and he does, but we still have to understand order that God has placed into the universe and there is order, universal order that God has instituted. Bringing order will do what prayer cannot do. See, we Christians have painted a picture of God in such a way to the world that we imply that if I pray about it, I can have anything I want the way I want it, how I want it, and we don't think about universal laws that God has implemented and rules that are in place and we don't understand. There are certain things. I believe prayer changes things, but it changes things that can be changed. Help me, Lord. Universal law. Everybody just say universal law. Universal law means that it applies to everyone equally. Let me give you what I'm talking about. It really doesn't matter what you believe. It really doesn't matter what hemisphere you live in. It really doesn't matter what your gender is. It really doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Universal law is the same for everyone, everywhere, all the time. It is a universal law. Oh, help me. Hear me. Give us ears to hear, Lord. If it's a universal law, law you don't even have to be a believer or born again to operate in it. Why? It's universal. It's the same. God always protects. I'm talking about protection today. Universal law doesn't even care about your belief. Y'all realize that mathematics is a universal law? 
One plus one equals what? Is it different if you're a man? Is it different if you're a woman? Is it different if you're black or white or red or yellow? Is it different if you're in Africa or Asia or South America? There's a universal law that one plus one is two. Doesn't matter what continent, it doesn't matter what your mom told you. If you got one of something and you get one more, now you got two of them. How many of you understand that? Universal law, that's what I'm talking about. Listen to me. Music. Music is a universal law. Let me explain it to you like this. It has the capacity, music, universal law of music, has the capacity to take you somewhere and to create something that was not there before. Music, as a universal law, someone born 200 years ago sits down and writes a song 200 years ago on a completely different continent, can't even speak English, puts that music on a piece of paper and 200 years later a musician can get those notes and play that song the way that person wrote that song 200 years ago and they couldn't even speak the same language. But they understand music. Why? Music is a universal law. It's a universal language. There's a universal law called gravity. Most of you here know what gravity is, don't you? It's a universal law. It works in this universe. It works here in the United States of America. It works the same over in Australia. It works the same in Africa. It's called gravity. It's a law that God has put into motion that you can trust. If you disregard, if you disregard the universal laws that God has put into operation, you will not be protected. Give you an illustration. Two men are on a 10-story building. One of the men is a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian. The other one is an unbelieving atheist. The Christian decides he's gonna step off of the 10-story building. What's going to happen? Hmm? He will no longer be able to impact his world, deal with his neighborhood, share his testimony, 
or do anything else. And the reason is because he violated a universal law of God. And when he stepped off that 10-story building, he can't be protected. I'm not saying God couldn't. I'm just simply saying that's how it works. If you don't believe I'm telling the truth, try it. The unbeliever, the atheist, still has the ability to go on with his life and do whatever he wants to do with his life. Has nothing to do with whether you're a believer, a Christian, or not. So what are you saying? I'm saying, help me, Lord. A nation of order can prosper more than a nation of prayer warriors that prayer warriors are violating principles of order. We'll say that again. A nation that is guided by order will not change because prayer warriors begin to pray and ask God to do things when they will not come into or under the order in which God has ordained certain things to function and certain things to do. Believer or non-believer, if you violate the order of gravity, you cannot be protected. Everybody with me? Are you listening to me? Well, Pastor Farley, I just thought I could pray and the Lord would let me live stupidly. Help me, Lord. Dominion, he told us to take dominion over everything here on this earth. Do you realize that? If you go back to Genesis when he made man in his image and his likeness and he said this man will have dominion, this man will have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on planet earth. We are supposed to have dominion, but listen to me say this, dominion will never come when it's apart from order. Help me, Lord. You realize you can go to church, sing, pray, give, but operate and function out outside of a universal order of God and still not be as blessed and prospered as an atheist? You think giving, playing, praying, and attending church and paying your tithe. There are blessings that go with tithing that aren't associated with anything else. Why? Because it's a thing of order. God said, if you'll honor me, here's what I'll bless you with. And he blesses you because of order. Sowing seeds is different than order. Y'all realize as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest? What do you mean? Well, you know, I just want y'all to know this year when 
I had the heart attack. <clears throat> I started praying for a garden to grow at my house. I wanted beans and I wanted corn and I wanted sweet potatoes and I wanted all kinds of stuff. I prayed for several days. When I was really sick, I even fasted for a really good garden. And you know, God must not like me because there ain't a bean on my property. I walked into a guy's house yesterday onto his porch and he said, I want to tell you something. He says, if you look right there in the crack of that sidewalk, do you see what's growing? I said, well, you know, that looks like a tomato plant to me. He said, I'm going to put a sign out there so nobody steps on it or pulls it because it's a tomato plant. And he said, I didn't plant it. And I'm thinking, how'd he get this and I don't? <laughs> Somebody dropped a seed in the crack of his sidewalk. Now listen to me. I can't pray a garden at my house. I can't believe a garden at my house. Do y'all know what I have to do to have a garden at my house? What do I have to do? Say it again. I'm saying that in front of the whole congregation because if y'all need a place next year, my house is available. Okay. Listen carefully to what I'm trying to get across from what I'm saying. We cannot violate, we cannot violate divine order, the order of God, and think that we can sing our way past it clap our hands into the kingdom or pray our way past obeying and doing. If you want a garden, you've got to plant a garden. It's called order. Now please understand, order is a divine law of God. If I can bring some order into a situation, I don't have to pray about it. I'm really tempted to go side roads here and I don't want to. I want to stay right on my message. Just bear with me a moment. If I bring order, darkness will flee. Why? God is light. God is love. Love always protects. 
If love always protects and God always protects, if I understand that his protection is built into his laws of order, then I have an understanding that there's going to be seed time and harvest. And if I understand gravity and I understand music and I understand the word of God, I understand the word of God because what I try to do every week is to plant the word of God into your heart because I know if you hear and have ears to hear the word of God and you receive the word of God in your heart, that that word will produce 30, 60, 100 fold return. So hear me. How do we step into order? Principles of order plus people of order in the place of order equals order. Principles of order in people of order in a place of order will produce order. Principles of disorder in people of disorder in places of disorder will create disorder. Help me, Lord. Disorderly people doing disorderly things in disorderly places, it's going to be disorderly. I never said it was a sin. I never said it would send you to hell. I'm just simply saying if you operate by disorderly principles and you don't understand the universal laws of God, you do not have the same protection that other people have. Let me read you a verse of scripture so you can get where I'm really headed. In Romans... The eighth chapter, beginning at verse two, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Last week I told you that only truth sets free. Now here this is saying there's a law of the Spirit. Do you know how many Christians believe that because they're free and because they walk in the Spirit and because they believe in the Holy Ghost that they can be people of disorder and do what they want and say what they want and they believe all I have to have is the Holy Ghost and I can do anything I want to do. Not outside of order because the law of the Spirit of life, the what? The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death is a law that went into operation when Adam sinned. He stepped into disorder. Jesus came back to the earth and put everything back into 
order. Everybody say order. Help me, Lord. How? I mean, let me, let me make this in a common thing so y'all can get this. You all realize crazy people who go crazy places and do crazy stuff will have crazy situations. Most of y'all have children who know that. Help me, Lord. Let me ask you this question. How do we get order with disorderly people and disorderly principles and dis in disorderly places? Let me tell you a story about Abraham and Lot. Abraham, the father of our faith, was a man of order. His nephew Lot was a man of disorder. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. And again, you know, Lot is a man of disorder. And Lot says, or Abraham says to Lot, we're going to have to divide up and go two separate ways because Abraham understood order and disorder ain't going to work together. So he looks at Lot and he said, you and your husband take what area you want to go to and if you go to that area, you can have what you want. If Lot would have been an orderly man, he would have understood first of all that Abraham was the senior man and the senior part and he would have looked at him and said, no, you choose where you want to go first and I'll take what's left. But a man of disorder, when he's put with something, he'll always take what he thinks is best for him. So you have Abraham and you have Lot. Here's what I'm saying if some of you don't get it. If you uh, have no value system, if you have no ethics, if you have no principles order of order, and you get around people who don't have those things, they'll suck you dry. They'll take, that's, what, that's exactly what Lot did to Abraham took him for everything he had. Lot walks off, gets in trouble with five kings. Lot gravitates to a place of disorder. Disorderly people always feel comfortable in disorderly places. Once You've been touched by order and the order of God. And God in right order in your life, you will never be the same and you'll never want to operate in disorder. If we're going to be a disorderly church operated by disorderly people, 
I'm out of here. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to get into it. Why? This is God's church. People ask, yes, it is. People have asked me, what do you do? How do you operate? What do you do? I mean, you'd be surprised what I've been told you got to do. The only thing I've tried to do through the years is said, Lord, if you'll tell me, you know, I've made a statement to everybody. I said, you know, everybody says, how, have you, how do you do this? I said, well, if it's in the vision, it's in the budget. If God tells you to build something, he'll give you the way to do it. And if he gives you the way to do it, he, he knows how to pay for it. You understand that? Why? Because God's a God of order. He knows how it is. If you operate disorderly, oh man, I, I, could, I could just, I know I'm talking to you now and I could get to meddling. I could make some real people mad right now and I don't want to do that. But people operate out of order all their life when finances and wonder why they can't be blessed if you get in order. Let, let, me, let me help you with this. If you make $100 a week and you spend $110 a week, you're out of order because in 10 years you're in trouble. But if you make $50 a week and spend $40 a week, in 10 years you're going to have some money. But you have disorderly people who look at somebody and they look at the guy that makes $100 and he says, you make twice as much as me, but you're still out of order. You can't spend more than you make. It's called order. Lord, forgive me for meddling. People, listen to me say this, people who get in order and stay in order get blessed. People who get in order. There are blessings that go with tithing. And listen, the blessing of the tither doesn't matter if you make $100 a week or $10,000 a week. When you give God 10%, you brought your house in order and the blessing of the tither, open windows and all those kinds of things. There's a good book out there if you want to read it. It's about order. I've had preachers look at me and say, you are legalistic. You are teaching something legalistic. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not teaching something legalistic. I'm not saying it's a law that you've got to tithe. I'm saying that it's an order that you've got to tithe. There's a universal thing that says if you give, it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. But if you won't give and you won't obey God and you won't do what God wants to say, it doesn't say he's going to bless you anyway. I got to get to my notes. Hear me. Listen. Order brings protection. Order hears things. But order doesn't let the world it's in shape it. It shapes the world that it's in until the church 
comes into the universal order of God and begins to allow the laws of God to operate in their life, we are never going to do what God placed us here to do and we've got Christians think they can do what they want and pray and it'll be okay. It's not. Help me, Lord. Order brings protection. Will you say that? Order hears things that other, he that hath ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. What do you think he said? There are the laws of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death is separation from God and doing what you want. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The man who walks in the Spirit listens by the Spirit. Now, perception. I got to wrap this up. Let me tell you a story. Just something to think about. Okay, it's something I want you to think about as I close this message. Washington, D.C., Metro Station. A cold morning in 2007. A man, this is a true story, by the way, okay? True story. A man with a violin in the Washington Metro Station played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes in the Washington Station. During this time, approximately 2,000 people went through the station. Most of them were on their way to work. After three minutes of this man playing, a man noticed him playing. He slowed his pace, stopped for a few seconds, and then hurried on to keep up with his schedule. Four minutes later, the violinist received his first dollar. He went in there, laid a hat down, a lady walks over, throws a dollar in the hat, and without stopping, she continued to walk. Six minutes into him playing, a young man leaned against the wall and listened to him, then looked at his watch and started to walk. Ten minutes into him playing, a three-year-old boy stopped but his mother kept tugging him along hurriedly. The kid stopped again, turned around and looked at the violinist, but the mother kept pushing and continued to walk. This happened several times by several kids watching this guy play his violin. 45 minutes of playing these six numbers by Bach, the musician played continuously, only six people stopped and listened for a short time. About 20 people gave money that totaled $32.17 in his hat. Pastor, what are you saying? He finished 45 moments, minutes of playing no one noticed he quit. No one applauded. No one gave any recognition. 
But no one there knew that this musician was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians, one of the greatest violinists in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin that was worth over $4 million. That violin was made in like 1700-something, and it's worth over $4 million, and he played it with people passing him by. 2,000 people went by. Two days before Joshua Bell played in the uh, Metro, he sold out a theater, theater in Boston for tickets of over $100 apiece. The average was around $100 to go listen to him, sold it out. Now listen, this is a true story. Joshua Bell played incognito in the Metro Station. It was organized by the Washington Post as a part of a social experiment about perception, taste, and people's priorities. Let me tell you how good this guy was. You, you can Google him on the internet. I started reading about him. He was getting ready to do a concert one night and they were having a school thing and the lady who was over one of the colleges who was going to perform with students checked into the hotel and where she was staying, the room next to him, Joshua Bell was staying and she went in there and started listening to him in the other room practicing and she decided after listening to him, there's no, 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 no possible way I'll ever get the job if they got students over there that can play like that. When she found out who it was, she stayed. Now listen to me. Here's the question that was raised in this. In a commonplace environment, at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected content. If we don't have the time in the course of our day to stop and listen to one of the greatest musicians who ever lived playing one of the hardest, most difficult pieces that was ever played, on a $4 million violin and we pass it unnoticed, what are we missing? I could get emotional right now because Richard Fox was one of those guys. Right? He's fixed dozens of stuff around here that none of us could fix. Washers, dryers, so on, everything. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. He could fix things. He was a gift. He'd come in here. He built these slats. He, he, he would set the... We've had lights in here that I could never work for years, and I'm the pastor. 
I don't know what to do to turn them on. Listen to me. Hear me. God wants you protected. I'm going to close with this. For the law, Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. God, help us and encourage us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Strife, jealousy, disorderly things, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all of these things are called works of the flesh. And it does not say in scripture that you go to hell if you do those things. I can take you to three passages of scripture that will say to you that if you do those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here now. It's alive now and it's operating in you. But if you don't walk in the spirit, you're never going to see the joy and the beauty. Listen, God is playing. God is talking. In your everyday dealings of walking by, you're walking by the greatest, greatest creator who ever lived. And we're too busy. If we could, listen to me, if we could follow the spirit, we would know God always protects. We walk our way. We walk disorderly. And we miss it.